G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you again at God's Word, continuing, nearly finished, second last talk in our series in the book of Genesis, chapters 46 to 47 today. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open, please? We're going to read most of these chapters together, think about what they mean and how they apply to us as Christians. We'll also help you to have the outline of the talk that's on the, uh, the service program that hopefully you've downloaded during the week. Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in Christ you have blessed us with every blessing in the, spirit, in the heavenly realms. Thank you that through Jesus we know we are loved, we know we are forgiven, and we know that we will be saved. Uh, Lord, please help us now as we look at your word to understand what it says. Help us to think hard about how to live as your blessed people. If we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 2006, Cumberland and I bought a, a tiny little one-bedroom unit. The unit, uh, when we bought it, it already had a tenant living there. And uh, after we bought the place, the tenant stayed. And she stayed. And she stayed. For the last 15 years, we've had the same tenant Unfortunately, with this, with this whole COVID situation, our tenant recently decided to retire and move away. And so, a couple of weeks ago, for the first time in 15 years, our unit became vacant. Uh, with uh, some help, I got a real estate agent to advertise the property, and, and he asked me an interesting question. He asked, what kind of tenant are you looking for? What kind of tenant are you looking for? What kind of tenant am I looking for? As usual, when the real estate asked me the question, I had no idea. I never seemed to come up with a good answer to questions on the spot, but, but I've since been thinking about it. What kind of tenant am I looking for? Well, obviously, I, I don't expect them to do everything that I would do as the owner of the property. I don't expect them to do any major renovations or, or anything like that. They're not going to live permanently in the unit. And so I imagine, as, as wise tenants, they don't want to waste all their time and money investing in my unit. As wise tenants, they'll be, they'll be saving up for a place of their own. But while they're in my unit, I do hope they'll look after the place. I hope they'll pay their rent. I hope they'll treat the unit with respect. They'll take care of all the stuff that's in there. They'll keep it clean. I hope they won't ruin the carpet or, or, or the paint. I hope they'll be careful with the appliances. I know they don't own the place, and I, I don't expect them to act as if they do, but, but, but overall, I, I hope they'll treat the place with respect, in a sense, as if they were owners. By God's grace, that's what my tenant for the last 15 years has been like. If there was some major problem, she, she would ask me to fix it. You know, I painted the place and recarpeted and fixed the air conditioning and replaced the appliances and so on. But basically, basically, she, she looked after the place like it was her own. So, if I have to summarise, here's my answer. Here's the tenant I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who will... Look after my place well 
even while they set their sights on a more permanent home. Someone who'll look after my place well, even while they set their sights on a more permanent home. As we've seen over and over again in this book of Genesis, God has made promises. Promises to Abraham and to Isaac and promises to Jacob, who is also known as Israel. Promises to make their family God's people, a a great nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. Promises to give them a secure place in the land, the land of Canaan, a land that would be a new Eden, and then promises to bless them and through them to bless the whole world. Ultimately, these promises, God is promising to reverse the curse on the sin of Adam and to bring humanity back into right relationship with himself. God has promised to make Jacob's family, God's people in God's place under his blessing. But over these last couple of weeks, we've seen there's been a terrible famine, famine in the land of Canaan. Jacob's son, Joseph, you remember, he's been made ruler of Egypt. And God has revealed to him uh, and through him that that, that this famine would come. And so the nation of Egypt is prepared. They They have food stored away. Jacob's other sons, they've been down to Egypt on a couple of trips to buy food. Joseph has revealed who he is to them and and he's invited his father Jacob and the whole family to come and live in Egypt. Now, uh, in one sense, this, this runs counter to God's promise. God has promised Jacob a place in the land of Canaan. I'm heading off to Egypt. It seems like it's going against God's promise. But at the beginning of chapter 46, God speaks to Jacob He assures him it'll be okay to go to Egypt. He says it's in Egypt that Israel will become a great nation. And he says, he says, I'll bring them back. I'll bring them back to the promised land. Notice as we read, this was never meant to be a permanent move. Egypt is not the promised land. It isn't home. Egypt Egypt is just a place of temporary residence. Chapter 46 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 46 and verse 1. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And so uh, Jacob and the whole family, they pack up all their stuff and they head off to Egypt. Verse 5, verse 5. Then Jacob left Beersheba. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. 
Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Uh, the, author, the author of Genesis then uh, lists the names of the whole family of Israel. Turns out to be some, some 70 people in all. Uh, jump down to verse 26. Verse 26. All those who went down to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. They head to a place called Goshen in Egypt, and there Jacob and Joseph, father and son, they have a, a, a tearful reunion. It's, it's, it's quite a moving scene, verse 28. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Well, Joseph arranges for Pharaoh to meet his family uh, to get permission for them to live in Egypt. And, and as we read, notice this, he, he keeps on talking to them about um, being shepherds. He says, you've got, to, you've got to say that you're shepherds. And, and the point of it is this, they're nomads. As they approach Pharaoh, they're not saying that they're going to move to Goshen and take up permanent residence. Now, according to the NIV translation, uh, it says that shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians, and that's, that's a very literal translation. But the idea is not that Egyptians have something against people who care for sheep. I mean, as we see later on, Pharaoh has his own sheep. But, but, but the idea is that the Egyptians, that they look down on people who don't have any fixed abode. Commentator Gordon Wenham, he puts it this way. He says, he says this is an example of the widespread distrust and fear of nomadic peoples by settled urban dwellers, something like the modern attitude towards gypsies and hippies. These Israelites, they're drifters. They're like an ancient uh, John Rambo or, or, or Jack Reacher. They're, they're not going to settle down permanently. They won't have a lasting place in the land of Egypt. Verse 31. Verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they've brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Now Pharaoh meets some of Jacob's family, they, they tell him, and, and, and he gives them permission to stay in the land. And then he meets Jacob. And Jacob, you'll notice, he blesses Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Chapter 47 and verse 7. Chapter 47 and verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? 
And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. And so uh, the people of Israel find themselves refugees in the land of Egypt. Now, of course, as we move into the book of Exodus, this is very significant. This is very significant for the storyline, isn't it? The, the whole story of Exodus, it's about how Israel come back out of Egypt and return to the promised land. But meanwhile, meanwhile while they're there in Egypt, uh, Joseph himself is an amazing blessing to the people. Uh, Egypt and Canaan, they are suffering terribly under this famine. Verse 13. Verse 13, there was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Egypt and Canaan suffering, but, but, but through his planning and foresight and careful management, Joseph spares them from starvation over the seven years of the famine. Joseph, he saves the people of Egypt from death. First, he gives them food in exchange for money. Verse 14. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying. Next, Joseph gives them food for their livestock. Verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange. Finally, Joseph gives them food for their freedom and for their land. Verse 19. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food. And so Joseph saves the people of Egypt. God's promise is coming true. Abraham's family, they're blessing the world. Verse 25. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. In the final scene, the people of Israel are increasing in number. Again, it's, it's a fulfilment of God's promise, isn't it? And uh, elderly Jacob, he makes Joseph give him one final promise. Uh, Joseph has to promise to bury Jacob in Canaan. Notice again, Egypt is not home. Canaan is where God's promises are to be fulfilled. And so even in death... That's where Jacob wants to be, in Canaan, waiting for God to keep his promises. Verse 27. 27. Now, the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Okay. Okay, can you, uh, can, can, can you see what's here in this passage? The, the whole family of Israel, they move to Egypt. 
It's a temporary move to escape the famine. Uh, they're in Egypt while they're there. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. There, uh, Joseph is a great blessing to the people of e Egypt. There, that the people of Israel multiply. God's promises are being fulfilled in Egypt, but it was never meant to be permanent. And so, Jacob's dying wish is to be buried, uh, not, not, not in Egypt. Jacob's dying wish is to be buried in the promised land. All right. Now let's think about applying this passage to ourselves as Christians. Friends, the New Testament tells us that, that these people in Genesis, they had faith in the same promises of God as we do. They were waiting, the New Testament says, for a final home. They were looking forward to being God's people under his eternal blessing in a new heaven and earth. And so the New Testament says, people like Jacob and his family, they lived as if not just Egypt, but this whole world, including the promised land, they lived as if this whole world were not their true home. On your outline there from the New, Te from the New Testament, uh, from the book of Hebrews. You see it on your outline? By faith, Abraham, when called, to a go when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Friends, it's very clear in this story, isn't it? Jacob never considered Egypt home. And the fact that he insisted on being buried in Canaan, it shows that he was waiting for the promise of God even beyond death. He was a foreigner and stranger on earth. What did he say? The years of my pilgrimage have been short and hard. A pilgrim, a foreigner, a stranger on earth. Friends, the Bible says it's true of us as well. Uh, this world... This world is not our permanent home. Through Jesus, through Jesus we have the promise of an eternal place with God, an eternal home. As Jesus said, I've put this on your outline as well, as Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus does by his death and resurrection. He prepares a home for us, a place for us in the Father's house. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There's our true home, friends. There's our permanent place. It's not this world. It's the Father's house. So if that's true, well, how should we live? How should we live on this temporary earth while we wait for our eternal home? I reckon there's plenty to learn from Jacob and Joseph here. Uh, 
Jacob, he blesses Pharaoh. Joseph, he works hard to be a blessing to Egypt. But all along they realise it's not their final home. That's why Jacob insists on being buried in Canaan. And it's why Joseph goes on to insist at the very end of Genesis that he himself be buried in Canaan as well. Waiting there, even in death, for the promises of God, the eternal promises of God to come true. How should we live on this earth while we wait for home? How can we we apply this passage to ourselves? What can we learn from Jacob and Joseph? Friends, let me put it this way. God wants us here on earth to be good tenants. God wants us here on earth to be good tenants. Do you remember my definition of a good tenant? Someone who who looks after the place even while they set their sights on a more permanent home. That's how I reckon we ought to live here on earth. Uh, Like Jacob and Joseph, we should be a blessing here in our temporary residence. But yet we know that our permanent place is in God's promised land. So, with that in mind, with that in mind, I have two points of application for us. Two application points. Application point number one, don't forget to be a blessing. To to do good here on earth, to, to look after the place here, so to speak. And application point number two, don't forget home, our permanent place in the Father's house. Do you see the two points? Two points. Don't forget to be a blessing and don't forget home. All right, well, let's think about the first point first. Don't forget to be a blessing. Friends, friends, God hasn't put us here on earth to just serve ourselves. God hasn't put us here on earth to to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. God hasn't put us here on earth to pursue as much happiness as we can. God hasn't put us here on earth to exploit the place for our own benefit. God hasn't put us here on earth to to selfishly wreck the joint. God has put us here on earth to be a blessing. The New Testament is clear about this. As Christians, we are here to live good lives, lives that bless the people around us, lives that do good, lives that do so much good that the people around us will give glory to God. Hopefully now, but certainly when Jesus returns. The Apostle Peter puts it this way on your outline. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Is that the kind of life you're living? Could you describe yourself as being a a blessing to the people around you? Are you making their lives better with your good deeds? Are you giving the people around you reason to to, to glorify God, reason to thank God for you? Are you a blessing to your family as you faithfully serve them day after day? Are you a blessing in your workplace? Can, Can people thank God for the work you do? Can they thank God that they're 
garbage is cleaned or their accounts are done or their computers are fixed or their businesses are improved or their legal battles are fought or their illnesses are tra treated or their buildings are well designed or whatever it is that you do. Can, can people thank God for the work that you do here on earth? Is that you, friend? Are you a blessing here in this temporary world that we're living in? If I were to ask your family about it, what, what would they say? Would they say their lives are better because of you? If I were to ask your friends, if I were to ask your work colleagues, if I were to ask your, your clients, what, what would they say? Do you, reckon, do you reckon that people, when they pray about you or, or pray for you, they say, thank you, God, for you? Do you reckon people thank God for you? Thank God for the way you serve and work and care. Friends, what we do here on earth for this time that God gives us, it matters. It matters what we do. We should use our time here to be a blessing to our world like a good tenant. We, we should look after the place while we're here. But don't forget the second point either, will you? Don't forget home. I mean, a tenant would be crazy to invest all their time and energy into developing the landlord's house. I mean, a bit of gardening, fine, a bit of cleaning, sure, but, but, but nothing major, no way. Uh, the wise tenant's not going to do anything like that. Why? Well, because they set their sights on a more permanent home. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're saving for. That's what they're thinking about. Modern life, life in this world, it's, it can be pretty all-consuming, can't it? I mean, we're busy at work, we're, we're busy with friends, we're busy with family, we're busy doing lots of stuff, and then we fill in whatever gaps they are with, with TV and computer games and novels. I mean, it's fine, that's just life. But it does make it easy to lose sight of the goal, doesn't it? does make it easy to, to lose perspective. It does make it easy to, to forget home. And so we, we, we invest all our time and energy in the temporary stuff. We, we get tricked into thinking that if we can just get that next thing, finally we'll be happy. Finally life will be worth living. Or, or, or we get all anxious and upset about the things that come and go in life. We, we, we lose perspective because we forget home. Don't forget home. A couple of weeks ago, a lady in our church, Cornelia Deleu, she died. Uh, on the night before she died, Cornelia was in hospital. Her daughter said to her, uh, Mum, we're going we're to move you from here to a rehabilitation hospital. But Cornelia said, I don't want to go to a rehabilitation hospital. I just want to go home. Now, her daughter said to me, she said, I thought she was talking about her home in Chatswood. I got all upset with her because there's just no way that she could do that. There's no way she was well enough to go back home to Chatswood. But, but then I realised she wasn't talking about Chatswood at all. She was talking about her true home, her home with Jesus in the Father's house. And the daughter said to me, she said, 
Isn't it great to be able to live and die with a hope like that? Isn't it great to live and die with a hope like that? Cornelia didn't forget home. A few days after the funeral, another one of Cornelia's daughters came to visit me. Uh, she had a gift for the church. And, uh, and we got talking about Cornelia's will. I said, uh, I, I guess it'll be an, an, an even split between the three daughters. But she said, you know what, no, Mum, she actually split everything four ways. A quarter to each daughter and a quarter to Christian charities that she's always supported. I thought to myself, wow, um, Cornelia didn't just think about home. She also generously sought to be a blessing in this world. What a good tenant she was. Do you want to be a good tenant here on earth, friend? Well, don't forget to be a blessing and don't forget home. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his death and resurrection, he has prepared an eternal place for us with you. Thank you that we look forward to being your people in this place under your blessing forever. But Heavenly Father, thank you that you've also given us life here on this earth and uh, a task, good things to do while we're here. So please help us, Heavenly Father to be a blessing to this world, even while we wait for our true home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.